Holy Spirit, I pray that during this time that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. We recognize that we are absolutely dependent upon you. And I pray that right now that you would teach us from your word. You're the author of this book. You're also the one who gives understanding. And so let that happen in our hearts and in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things that I think all of us would agree on is that these are really disturbing times to be a Christian. I mean, everywhere you look, it seems like Satan and his forces of evil are winning the battle. Uh, one of the things that, that's happening is everything in our world is changing. I mean, everything is changing. Uh, Rob Salyer and I were talking yesterday about the change that's taking place in college football. You know, and all that kind of thing. It's change is happening. My goodness, Friday, my Chicago Cubs changed the world. Sold off everybody they had. And now their roster, I was looking at it yesterday, who's playing in the game. I might as well be reading a roster from a, a polo match in India. I didn't know any of these people. You know, things are changing everywhere we look. And there's lots of turmoil, lots of confusion, lots of... Uh, uh, it's just all abounding in the media, in government, in politics, whether it's national politics, statewide, even local. There is turmoil, there's confusion everywhere. Uh, masks going to be worn at school again this fall? Who knows? I mean, uh, how about mandated vaccines? Somebody's going to show up at your doorstep with a hypodermic needle in one hand and a $100 bill in the other hand, you know? What in the world is going on around here? And folks, we've reached the point in our country where, man, if you take a breath, you're probably a racist. That's kind of where we are in our world. And it, it is just absolutely incredible what's happening. I mean, how many different ways can you define a person sexually these days? The last list that I saw had 57 different ways that you could call somebody based on their sexuality. I read an article this week that said what we need to do is we need to just label it and say LBGTQ-TBA to be announced. You know, we just add whatever. Do you know what the latest one is? There are some people now who are calling themselves demisexual. Demisexual. Have you heard of this? Demisexual is identified as a person who is sexually attracted only to people with whom one has formed an emotional attachment. That kind of sounds like marriage to me, but who knows? But that's the newest thing. Demisexual. Wow. And, and I often find myself, and I think you do too, lamenting just the ongoing sinfulness in our nation. We're applauding sin in our nation. We hate the police. We love the criminals. We engage in vile name calling. We, we're openly expressing hatred for our country. And, and we applaud those who outwardly show disrespect for our nation and for our flag. What in the world is going on around us? It just seems like <clears throat> wickedness is winning the day in, in our world today. You know, there was a time when God played an extremely prominent role in that of our nation. Um, 
Now he gets scarcely mentioned. I mean, uh, this idea that America is a Christian nation has been replaced by uh, an active atheistic approach to life where the assumption is God doesn't exist. So ask the question, and I know you asked the question, why doesn't God intervene? Um, Where is God in all this? Why hasn't he answered the prayers of of hundreds and thousands of Christians who are praying for him to bring revival, awakening to our nation. I mean, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and uh, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land, forgive their sins and heal their land. And we've been praying for that, and we're saying, why isn't God answering our prayers? Where is God in all this? I mean, why doesn't he answer? Why doesn't he punish the, the wickedness, this, this atheistic element that, that's in our society? Why does it seem that God is so far away from our nation? Like he's just up and walked away and left us to our demise. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever just thought, what in the world is going on? Well, in expressing these thoughts, we are uh, paralleling the thoughts of the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Uh, and Habakkuk is one of my favorite prophets in, of these minor prophets in the Old Testament. And again, let me just reiterate, we talked about this the very first, uh, uh, very first Sunday we jumped in here, but minor prophets do, does not mean that they are unimportant prophets, that you know Isaiah and Jeremiah are more important than Nahum or Habakkuk or Zephaniah or any of those guys. What it really is reflecting more of the size of the writing. Because when we talk about the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, now you know that the book of Lamentation is lumped into those major prophets. Lamentation is really kind of an appendix to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentation. (laughs) But you've got these four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, uh, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And if you look at those books, the average number of chapters in those books is 46 different chapters. Those are big books. When you take the 12 minor prophets and you count up all the chapters and you average them, the minor prophets have only about five and a half chapters per book. So it's not minor in the sense of unimportant. It's more like these are the smaller prophets, okay? Or shorter prophets. Maybe that's a better word, okay, for them. But they still have a very important message to give to us. So who is Habakkuk? Well, he is a, (coughs) excuse me, Habakkuk is a contemporary on the history timeline of, uh, of, say, Nahum and Zephaniah and Jeremiah. Habakkuk lived and prophesied during the reigns of King Josiah and King Jehoiakim from about 640 to about 598 B.C. Uh, He prophesied somewhere between the fall of Nineveh at the hands of the Babylonians, and that took place in 612 B.C., and the the, uh, Babylonian invasion of Judah, which happened in 588 B.C., 
the mighty nation of Assyria is now off the scene. Uh, Pastor Paul uh, last week talked about uh, the Assyrian Empire and, and how they wreaked havoc in their region. They're gone now. The Babylonians have conquered uh, Nineveh. They've destroyed the, 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 uh, the Assyrian Empire. And so now the main character on the stage is that of Babylon, or some uh, text call it the Chaldeans. Just another name for Babylon. So Babylon is in power. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the one who's on the throne of Babylon. Uh, but right now, by now, he has defeated Egypt in 605 uh, B.C. And he's right on the verge of attacking Judah. That's the historical context of, of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's little book really indicates that Habakkuk was a man who was steeped in Scripture. He knew the Scriptures well. Not only that, but he was a very competent theologian. He could speak well and, and, and really give to us information about God's character and God's nature. And he had, an unre had a remarkable faith in God. When we get to chapter 3, you're going to discover his faith in a, really a beautiful poetic prayer. That, that is written, that makes up the last part of that chapter. One of the things that comes out of that, that beautiful prayer is the thought by many scholars that this might indicate that Habakkuk was a priest in the temple, leading worship in the temple. And so if that's the case, then he's going to be like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who were priests and were called to be prophets which in and of itself would be a very difficult position to be in, of being a priest and a prophet. Now, the name Habakkuk means to embrace, or it means to, to wrestle. And so in this book, both of those senses of his name come forth. I mean, he wrestles with some very difficult questions in this book, but in the end, he embraces by faith the God that he serves. He has a tenacious trust in, in God and that God was in control. So the whole purpose of the book of Habakkuk is to show that God is still in control of the world despite all of the evil that, uh, that seems to be triumphing all around, or all around him. So the book of Habakkuk begins, um, much like this sermon, with a whole bunch of questions about the existence of unpunished evil in the world. I mean, here's Habakkuk, and he's questioning God. You know, why is there evil in the world? Why, God, do you see, seem indifferent in the face of evil? Why do the wicked seem to go on winning? Why do evil people seem to go unpunished? He had all these questions for God. And in that, Habakkuk is different than most of the other prophets. See, most of the other prophets brought God's word to the people. Habakkuk is bringing the people's questions to God. And so the, there's a difference there. And I think right off the bat, there's a principle there that we need to hold on to. And, and that principle is this. Folks, we don't need to shy away from asking God tough questions. God's shoulders are big enough for us to express our concerns, our doubts, our, our questions. You know, honesty before God is so refreshing to Him. He gets so sick and tired of charades that, that people play with Him. And so when we express doubts to God, that's not a sin. 
That's being honest before God, and he applauds honesty. So the book begins by telling us that this message that uh, Habakkuk is delivering, uh, writing down, and we're, we're studying today, this is, comes about in the form of a vision from God. Look at verse 1. Habakkuk 1 and verse 1, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Now, some of your other translations don't have the word vision there in in verse 1. But we're going to understand that God is communicating to Habakkuk through a vision as you get on into into verse 2 and verse 3. Listen, for instance, to Habakkuk, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. This from the New American Standard Bible. It says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. So it's very obvious. This is a vision that God has given to Habakkuk that he is to write down. And this vision comes in response to this series of complaints to to God from the lips of, of Habakkuk here. And so these complaints, and really a part of God's response, form the bulk of chapter 1. So chapter 1, if you wanted to put a title to it, it would be Habakkuk's questions. Habakkuk's questions. Um, And Habakkuk's easy to spell. There's one B and two Ks. Well, there's actually three Ks, okay? K-K-U-K, okay? So it's Habakkuk's questions. Complaint number 1 is found in chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Listen to what he said. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry. But you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. Am I reading from the New York, New York Times here? I'm... Yeah, it sounds like today, doesn't it? The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. So look at these questions that he's asking of God. How long must I call for help? God, have you forgotten us? How can you you, you be still and not bring judgment on the wickedness that's present in our land? And, and look at those words that he uses to describe the climate of the land in which he lived, Judah here. Violence, evil, misery, destruction, arguing, fighting, paralysis, and perversion of justice. And then notice the words that Habakkuk used. He says, I call for help. And then he says, I cry. Now, that first word simply means to call out earnestly. He calling out earnestly to God. But the second word, cry, is a word that means to scream in agony. So here is Habakkuk, and he's growing increasingly agitated over the evil around him. See, Habakkuk's claim is not, uh, a complaint is not about the evil in the nations around Judah. It's a complaint about the presence of evil in Judah, his, his, his own people, and the, and the corruption that's there. <clears throat> and so here is God's people. 
and they are blatantly disobeying God, and they're flaunting their immorality and their idolatry uh, before the entire world. And, and God's name was being blasphemed and being drugged through the mud by their behavior. And Habakkuk is gravely irritated and upset and agitated over this sinfulness. You see, as, as Habakkuk surveyed the land of Judah, and then he watched the international scene around him, he found himself struggling with some serious questions. Um, You and I might find ourselves in that same situation when we look at our country, when we look at the world around us. Um, Maybe we struggle. Maybe sometimes we even have doubts about God's ability. Can He make things right in this world? Is is that a possibility? (laughs) You know, as our nation continues to push God out of the arena of daily life. You know, hey, I don't mind if you're a Christian, just keep it out of my world. Just keep it private. But, you know, um, don't you sometimes get agitated that America is so blatantly anti-Christian? You ever just, I do. I watch the news and it just, I get so irritated because we've forgotten God in our land. Well, that's kind of where Habakkuk was. And here's the key. Habakkuk, though, did the right thing. He took his problems. He took his questions to God. And you know what? It's okay to be honest with God. God can handle our questions. Uh, It's okay to tell Him, hey, this stinks. I need a word from you, God. And God will respond. He will answer. See, when we honestly seek answers from God, we can trust that he will respond. And that's what he did for for Habakkuk. So this next little section, (coughs) beginning in verse 5, is God's reply to him. Look at Habakkuk 1, verse 5. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. See, God tells Habakkuk, open your eyes. I am at work. I have not cast a blind eye to the wickedness that's present in this nation. No, you just need to look up and be amazed at how I'm going to bring discipline on these people. See, God says, I am bringing judgment on my people. Um, The irony is, folks, that this punishment probably is not going to come like Habakkuk expected it to come. God was going to do something entirely new. So look at beginning at verse 6. God says, I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent with violent, on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. <coughs> they scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. In other words, God says, Habakkuk, look around and see the hand of God at work. Um, God was doing something so amazing 
that uh, his prophet would be shocked. I mean, God was planning to punish the Jews by using the godless Babylonians. Uh, Look at verse 6 there. He says they were a cruel and vicious people. Verse 7, they're they're notorious for their cruelty. They're law unto themselves. I mean, they did whatever they liked. Their only purpose was to promote themselves and to conquer and to enslave other people. And notice how God uh, describes them using pictures from the animal world. Um, He says their horses had the speed of cheetahs and the ferocity of wolves and, and their troops swoop down on prey like eagles or like vultures. Their army swept across the desert like the wind and gathered and deported prisoners in the way that like a man would sweep dust off of a sidewalk. And folks, only God could stop them. But instead of stopping them, God is actually enlisting them as his hand of punishment on his chosen people, the Jews. This wasn't what Habakkuk had in mind. I would, if I'd have been Habakkuk, I'd say, "What? What are you talking about here?" Because he probably hoped that God would send a revival into the nation of Israel and and bring people back again to repentance. But folks, the time for repentance and revival was long gone. Uh, <clears throat> God had wrestled with this people long enough with very little results. And so the only alternative was to allow Judah to fall into the consequences of their ways, to bring punishment upon them. And so that revelation of what God was going to do brought another complaint to the lips of Habakkuk. You see, as far as Habakkuk was concerned, God's first answer wasn't an answer at all. You didn't answer my question. Why why are you doing? In fact, God's response only created a new problem, new questions for for Habakkuk. And that was the problem of seeming inconsistency with God. I mean, how could a holy God use such a wicked people to punish his special people? Aren't you being inconsistent, God, here? That's what Habakkuk is going to say. So in verse 12, we get to the second complaint. Complaint number two, beginning at verse 12. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you, are, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while uh, the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? And now look at the image of fishing here. In verse 14, are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquest? (laughs) The first thing that... Habakkuk does here, he reminds God of his holiness. You're the holy one. You are pure. You cannot stand the sight of evil. Why then, God, would you use such a wicked and vicious people to bring punishment on Israel? Yes, we need to be punished. 
But why them? That's, that's what he's saying here. Now, Babylon, think about it. Babylon was a nation that was much more wicked than Judah. I mean, they were a nation to whom life was cheap. Uh, they didn't just conquer. They specialized in torturing their captives. And so they were more wicked than the nation of Judah. And that's where in Habakkuk's mind, the inconsistency comes in. I mean, God would not tolerate the sins of the Jewish people, but here he is, he's silent about the sins of the Babylonians as he prepares to use them to bring his wrath against Judah. And so chapter 1 closes with the repeating of some of those questions. Why are you doing this? Using evil to punish your people. Will you let this go on forever? Will they succeed forever in this heartless uh, conquest? See, Habakkuk wanted answers. Um, and he determined, you know what? I'm not going to do anything else, God, until you answer me. I'm just going to sit down and wait for you to answer me. Sometimes we need to do that, don't we? Sometimes we just need to wait on God. So look at chapter 2 where we find God's answers. Chapter 2 is God's answers. And the first part, we find Habakkuk waiting expectantly on, on God's answers. Habakkuk 2 verse 1. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand my guard post. Stand at my guard post. Then I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Well, at least Habakkuk is honest before God, isn't he? I mean, at least he went to the right place and the right source for his answers. And God did respond. So the, the next part there, verse 2 and 3, is God's second response to Habakkuk's questioning. So verse 2 there in chapter 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answers plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it will surely come, uh, take place. It will not be delayed. Uh, this is one of the only places, one of the, there's several others, but one of the very few places in Scripture where God gives actual direction to His prophets to write down the vision, write down God's message to us. Uh, we're able to study this book today because Habakkuk obeyed God's words to write down these, this vision that he's receiving. And so the second thing I want you to notice right there is God's timing. God's timing is not our time. Um, God says, wait for it. His timetable is not our timetable. It may not fit our timetables. He says, but wait for it. God will keep his promises. So verse 6 through 19 <laughs> really describes the fact that this proud people, the Babylonians, the armies of Babylon, uh, man, they pridefully exalt themselves. That's one thing that stands out in this text, that they are filled with pride. Uh, God says one day they will be brought low and they will be destroyed. And in these verses, we're going to find three really tremendous assurances of, that God gave to his people and really assurances for you and I as well. First of all, notice in verse 14, although it seems that the entire world seems to be filled with rebellion and misery and violence and mockery and strife, 
There's going to come a day when the whole world will be filled with the glory of God. Look at at 2.14. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. Yeah, folks, it, it might look bleak right now. It might look dark and foreboding. We don't see any answers, perhaps, on the, on the horizon. But wait for it. Wait for it. The glory of God one day will encompass the whole world. What a day that will be. Be patient. Wait on it. And second, note verse 20. You know, with all the turmoil around that nation of Judah... Corruption within, the enemy without, and so forth. With all that turmoil that we face today, the turmoil of of divisions, of divided country, and and lots of of ill-spirited rhetoric, and government chaos, and pandemics, and and all this kind of stuff that loom on the horizon. Notice verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. You see, that first assurance dealt with God's glory, that His glory will fill the earth. This second assurance (coughs) focuses on God's governance. It simply says, God is still on the throne of heaven. That's the, the holy temple. That's God's throne in heaven. God is still on the throne. And folks, His hands are still on the controls. God is still in control of this universe in the midst of all the turmoil. He's on the throne and He's in control of everything. Uh, He's in control of all the events of history, the decisions of mankind, economies and movements of people across the world. He's in control of the events in your life, events in my life. And so we don't need to be afraid, folks. Instead, we need to just be silent and worship God. Sometimes in the midst of this turmoil, one of the best things you could do is turn off the TV and just sit silently before God and acknowledge you're in control. You're in control. That's the second assurance that God is governing over all. The third great assurance for God's people is found back in verse 4 there of chapter 2. And this verse deals with the grace of God. So Habakkuk 2 verse 4, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Um, This last part of that verse, the righteous will live by their faithfulness in God, is quoted three different times in the New Testament. Romans 1, Galatians 3, and Hebrews 10. And there it simply says the just or the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Um, First of all, the only way, folks, to a right relationship with God, uh, which is, you know, the term righteous means being right with God. All of us are wrong with God because of the sin in our life. The only way to be right with God, to be righteous before God, is by faith. Um, 
and it's faith in the, in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. We're made right with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We're made righteous because of our reliance on, on Him. <coughs> Excuse me. The word faith there really just means to trust, to rely on, to depend on what Jesus Christ did for us. That's how we're made right. We were made right through our faith, our dependence in Jesus Christ. But second, then as righteous ones, those of us who are children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, we're to live day by day by faith, by completely trusting in God, that God knows what's going on in my, in my life and in my world. And, and, and He knows you know, what He's doing and I'm just going to trust Him. I'm going to depend on Him. I'm going to count on Him to see me through all that I'm facing. That's what it means to live by faith in Him alone. So as we move into chapter 3, I want you to notice now, there's this tremendous change in Habakkuk's temperament. Um, it began with questions, and now it's, it's going to close, the book's going to close with confessions of trust in God. So chapter 3 is Habakkuk's confession of trust. Habakkuk's confession of trust. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3, excuse me. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by, and in your anger remember your mercy. This probably is a key verse. In, in this whole book, because Habakkuk simply confesses his amazement as to who God is. And in, in addition, he's pointing out, God, you have been so faithful in the past. And so he now declares that he's going to trust in that faithfulness, even in the midst of this present crisis. And I think that's another key for us that, you know, when we find ourselves in the midst of situations where, uh, we're wondering, okay, God, where are you? Why aren't you giving me deliverance? Why aren't you coming through for me in this situation? Uh, why aren't you helping me in this? What we need to do is to look to the past, to all those different times when God has come through for us and He's been faithful and He's, re he's released us and He's liberated us and He's helped us in, in whatever situation that He's brought deliverance to us. We need to remember God's faithfulness in the past when we're struggling with the turmoils of the presence. That's always a, a key thing to do. God has been so faithful. He'll continue to be faithful. These verses in, in chapter 3, verses 3 through 14, really stand in stark contrast to chapter 1, 6 through 8, because there we saw this description, a very frightening description of the Babylonian troops as they were, you know, as they were <laughs> sweeping across the world in their conquest. <coughs> Excuse me. But here in chapter 3 is a very vivid description of the coming of God into the world in His judgment on those, on those enemies. Here's a, a picture of God who is erupting in the world. That's the word that, uh, uh, that Paul taught us last week. I-R-R-U-P-T-I-N-G means to enter into something. 
and, and cause a, a change. And so God is erupting into the world. That is, here is God, and he's bringing relief and deliverance into the world. And so he got, uh, Habakkuk here is picturing it uh, as a sun, as it rises, and as the rays uh, sweep across the desert around it. Look at verse 3. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Param. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with His praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from His hands, where His awesome power is hidden. See, this is a whole new vision that Habakkuk is now receiving. And so instead of the the invading armies of Babylon who are coming upon him, instead he's seeing the coming of the Lord to rescue and, and to deliver his people. And look at his response then. Here's Habakkuk's response in verse 16. He says, I trembled inside when I heard this. And he's talking about what he heard was the, 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 the news that God was coming to bring deliverance. He says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Here's Habakkuk, and he's just standing in amazement when he contemplates the power of God to rescue God's people and and to bring punishment on the enemies of of Judah. He, He says, I'm trembling with such excitement. I have such a reverential fear for God and His power. It's incredible. And, and so it's because of this amazement that Habakkuk expressed his undying love regarding uh, this situation. Uh, and regardless of what was happening, he could hold on to his undying faith. He says, I'm going to trust God completely. And so the last three verses are really the climax of this entire book. And probably one of the most um, tremendous declarations of faith to be found anywhere in Scripture. So listen to these verses. Habakkuk writes, even though the fig trees have no blossoms. That is, there's not going to be any fruit on the fig trees. They didn't blossom this year, so there's not going to be any fruit taking place. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Isn't that a tremendous declaration of faith? Regardless of what I'm going through, and it may look like disaster, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. My trust will always be in Him. Folks, regardless of what we face as a nation, regardless of what you're going through in your own personal life, in the life of your family, whatever it might be, whatever you're facing, I want you to know unequivocally, God can be counted on. You can trust Him. He will come through for you. He's not deserted you. He hasn't forgotten you. No, He is mighty to say. He's powerful to rescue. And in His timing, 
He will answer your prayers in His way. According to His timetable, He's going to respond to you. Folks, wait for it. Wait for it. See, these three chapters extend hope to us. It doesn't matter what we're going through. God is the master of the universe. Do you believe that? Yeah. And we can have confidence that He loves us and that He is going to guard our relationship with Him forever. Hope means going beyond our unpleasant daily experiences to the joy of really knowing God. We live by trusting in Him. Not trusting in the benefits or the happiness or the success that we may experience here in life. Because those things are fleeting. Good things today, but they're gone tomorrow. But one thing lasts forever, and that is the Lord God Almighty. Our hope comes from Him and Him alone. Stand on it. Wait for it. I will rejoice in God my Savior. Let's pray. Father, as we pray this morning, I recognize that we are in turmoil. In our personal lives, we struggle with so many things, with addictions, with relationships, with job-related things, with money issues. We struggle all the time. And it would be so easy to despair. But you have come to give to us life and to give to us hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone as our Savior, as our salvation. And I pray that anybody in this room, anybody watching online who does not have a personal relationship with you, through Jesus Christ, through trusting in what He did, through depending on on His death on the cross, that they this morning would do that. Right now, that they would invite you to come in and be their Lord and Savior. That they would confess they need you. Ask you to forgive them of of their sinfulness, their waywardness. And they would invite you to come into their heart as their Savior, as their Lord. We depend on you. Because you are absolutely in control. Teach us to be still and know that you are God. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.